Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Boom, we're on. Today's guest, we've got my good friend, Billy Moore. How are you, my brother? I'm good, James. Thank you for having me back. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. The last podcast we've done, I was kind of just starting the game, sitting in a gym, people running behind us. It's still done well, nearly half a million views. I've interviewed a lot of people, brother. Uh, over 200 people now. People come in and out of my life, come and go. You've always been solid. Over the last two years, we've spoke religiously, mm. nearly every day, helping each other. Both of us battle with our own problems, our own demons, different lives, but kind of the same battles. It's um, glad to call you my friend, brother, and I Thank genuinely you. mean that. Yeah. A few edits out there, but you've been solid throughout my brother and that. I really appreciate that. First Thank of you. all, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, and you know, to begin with, that, the podcast that we did, that was my first podcast. And um, I'd, I'd been through you know, a bit of a journey prior to, to, to getting behind the camera and talking about that experience that it did have. So I, was, I felt a little bit, um, a little bit uncomfortable with that first one, especially where it was we were in, like a gym with kids mm. on the running machine and everything with me. So it was a bit <laughs> awkward. Yeah. We'll touch on your new book straight away, yeah. Fight For My Life. This is your second book, Bill. Yeah. Your first one, A Prayer Before Dawn. They turned it into a film, amazing film, very deep. But let's touch on this straight away. What's this about, Bill? This is a follow-on to the to, to a prayer before dawn. You see, when I, I read the first one, I read that in a prison cell, and um, you know it was easy to write, and I felt that you couldn't escape the truth when you put it on paper. So it was quite, it was kind of like a way of healing, uh, and that's done really well. It became a bestseller. You know, obviously, they made a movie about the first one, and I was always asked to do a second one, but I didn't feel he had another story in me. Why? <laughs> I don't know, I think that was enough, but there was a lot of questions asked about the first book, about why, um, what happened to these drugs and what happened to this and you know, what happened to Billy. You know, when you read the uh, the Amazon reviews, um, and unfortunately I, I got arrested and went back to prison. And I think that's the only time I can write a book is when I'm banged up because I've got the time and I don't really want to do a trilogy. Although I've been asked to do a third book and it's not about me, it's about my brother. So I'm looking forward to... Um, to starting that soon sometime. We'll touch on your brother, Joe. Absolute yeah. legend. He's loved all over social media. A man who's constantly pushing the boundaries, but he wouldn't also be doing that if it wasn't for yourself. Pushing him, promoting the message. Is it autism? Yeah, yeah. It's um, a strong character. He just climbed a, a hill there. Yeah. Massive Everton fan. He's one Everton fan of the year. Everyone loves him. Your stuff gets viewed millions and millions of times with Joe. Unbelievable. How is that, Bill, with your brother Joe? How hard is that also? 
It's uh, it's not hard at all to be honest. It's quite inspiring. He's like I'm just a I'm just in the shadows of his smile now, and it's quite nice. It's about it's about him. It's about including him in in society because he struggled with um, getting like you know, bullying. You know, he'd go to work and he'd be getting buses. You know, he had this independence where he'd get buses. He'd travel to work and you know you know school kids. You know school kids are school kids, and he did name calling. We've all heard it before, you know. And, and he kind of um, went into himself and he wouldn't go out. It was quite sad to see him staying at home and isolating. You know, enough. He wasn't selling anyone, and then we, we spoke about it and I shared it on social media. And it went really, it went viral. Um, I, I just wanted to raise, you know, how important it was uh, to understand that you know disabilities, you know, are, are there, and you know, just accept people through the air. Yeah. So that... yeah, it's, it's been it's been nice. It's been a journey. I felt guilty to be honest, James. You know, over the years, I really did. I felt really guilty because, you know, my addiction stole stole a family from me, you know, it's it. And we talked about this in the first one. You know, there's no um, there's no hiding the fact that like, I, I was I was struggling, you know, through life with uh, a lot of a lot of demons like yourself you were talking about earlier on. And drugs became more important than my family and sitting there I've got a brother who's got autism. And to be honest, I felt embarrassed and I felt ashamed that he was you know, because I, I didn't really want to associate with him or be a part of his life. It was this, this is the truth, you know, this is how sad you know I'm being real with this um, he was in my way. I was the oldest out of six of us. I felt um, I felt that I never had a childhood. I was always there having to look after my younger siblings because my dad was quite volatile. He drank a lot and he was, uh, he was smashing the house up. My mum, you know, she worked every hour God gave us and you know provided the best she could, but couldn't. Couldn't um, the intimacy was quite low. Because of the, the fact that there was loads of us really, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, for years he was just there and, you know. Did you feel ashamed, Bo? I felt, I don't, I felt embarrassed. I don't know why. I was young. Um, because you knew you needed your help, but you were. Yeah, I had that air of arrogance, you know, with youth. We've got an air of arrogance. We think we can live forever. Um, He was just there. And, and I never acknowledged him, you know. Uh, and I feel, I feel like terrible. Uh, I've never said this before in in in, in the way I'm going to speak about it because it, it makes me feel really emotional and I kind of pushed that down, you know. I, I suppressed those feelings, but I remember sitting. It wasn't long after we'd we'd done a podcast with yourself. It was in 2019. I got out of jail. I was in um, I was on a tag. I had to live with my mum in a bungalow, um, on a camp bed. I had nothing, and I was always there because he he's my mum's carer. And he used to sit next to me. And you know when we're on our phone and, you know, people's roasting it in Dubai are more important than your family. And you're either like that or you'd like someone's posting, whatever, you don't even know who they are. And my brother's sitting there asking me questions and he's saying, how are you? And he wants to tell me about his day. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'll come back in a bit, lad. I'll speak to you soon. I'll see you in a few days. Come back next week. You know, like just always dismissing him. And then he sat next to me one day and then, I said, I'll see you in a minute, I'll speak to you in a minute. And he just, he just got up and walked out. And that was the moment, I don't know what it was, it was like a moment of clarity, and I just thought, what the fuck am I doing? I'm like, I'm, like, I'm addicted to this phone, and, and the people that love me are the ones that are sitting next to me. And I, and I put it down, and I went in the kitchen, we had the chat, and it was the best conversation I've ever had with him. It was like, it was just, it was just powerful, and um, I wanted to include him then in my life, and and and... and 
do do things with them and started taking them to a boxing club and yeah, they're fit and that and then um, yeah, it's just developed from there to be honest. Yeah, but that shows you how much you've changed in life. That shows you how far you've come, Bill. Instead of thinking about yourself, try to get the next fixed, try to stay out of prison, battling your own demons, to then becoming a different animal. Yeah. Pure, honest, loyal. And that shows your character over the last two years. We were just felt like shit two years ago, Bill. Yeah. I was just starting my journey. We used to laugh. We used to slaughter everybody. We just, yeah. it was just, but we always had vision. We always says for day one, get your book out, look, we'll get the podcast, we'll do this and do that. Yeah. And we're fucking doing it, brother. We are doing it. The videos that you're doing with Joe now, no matter if you've never been there at the start, you're making up for lost time now. Same as myself with the kids at the start. Like, yeah. I would always palm them off to my mum. I was going through the, the first three, four, five years of her life. I was still in party mode where I never ever felt like a father. This is the first time the last year, two years, I feel like a father. I feel like I am there. I feel it's not just about me. And that's that's a beautiful thing. Like, we yeah. live and learn and you're making example of people who can change. And we'll touch on now the prayer before dawn. We touched on it the first podcast, but I think now we can get a bit more intimate yeah. by in a room, silence, and um, go through that kind of period when you got to jail in Thailand. Yeah. What was that experience, Bill? That was, uh, obviously, hang on. You know, um, you know, I was in that, that, that change. I wanted to, to, to live a better way of living. Um, you know, being in that way of life where I'd been on the landings, on prison roofs, down in segregation, taking drugs, that was the way of life. You know, like I said, it was more important than anything that was influencing me. You know, and I decided I was going to go to a rehab, you know, because I, I just had enough. I remember, I don't know if I shared this on the first podcast, but I remember the most, the, the significant moments in um, in my journey was I was on the, the prison yard in Walton, HMP Liverpool, and we were having a, I shit off. It was the Otter Stay of the Year, it was 2003. And we decided that we're, like, we're not going back on ourselves. This is it. I've had enough. I've had enough of using drugs, by the way, right? There's no help at the time. There was no rehabilitation. It was just bang up, do your rattle, get your shit together, get out and start again. You know, and and, and I was on that pattern of going back in. And so I'm on the yard. Next step of show, let's get on the roof. That's fucking to me, it's a great idea, you know what I mean? The first kid that got up was a kid called Dusty. And I remember the moment he got on the roof and everyone screamed and yelled and windows were banging and I was just looking up going, wow, wow, wow. I love that attention, I want a bit of that. You know, so I decided it was my turn to get up. I was, the, I think I was the third one to climb up. And I, I was thinking he was the oldest as well. I put a bit of weight on, so he had a little bit of a fat arse. And I remember <laughs> halfway up, um, this screw call, Mr. Muscle shouted, you'll never get up there, you fat arse. And halfway up, <laughs> I fucking slipped. I slipped and I landed on the yard. I fucking landed on my yard. It'd be painful. But you know that shame. I'm off. I'm off. Then the ego. I'll get back up. It's saying this is something like a North Sea rescue from the lads that were up there. They were pulling me up because they were, oh, get this fucking cunt up. He's gonna get us here. He's gonna make a show of us. And, and the minute I got up there and everyone started cheering, I just felt, wow, this is it. And then it stopped. And it was about the next guy. And then I thought, I want to fucking jump off. You know. This was it. It was like a moment. It was like a negative way of asking for help. And in reality, it, it did me justice, you know. And um, I went to this rehab. Got clean. Realised they had a problem. I thought I'd want to live a little bit and enjoy my life. And got a passport. Bank, the, the bank accounts, all the stuff that you get when 
you know, but you have that people take for granted. And you know, I was off on my travels to Thailand, and that was a uh, that was another journey. How was that, John? There? Did you feel as if you were running away instead of facing the problems? No, here? I felt I never felt. I wrote about like that. Be fair stories. Well, I never felt that I was running away. I felt I was running to something. You know, I'd always been running away from myself. You know, I, I was on the run for years, and there was no one chasing me. But when I went there, it was like. You know, I'm just a world-class card carrying pleasure seeker. It was a hot country. You know, the people were beautiful. The the, the food was great. The experience was was amazing, and and I fell in love with it. You know, that was it. It's long. I'd never left Liverpool unless it was on a sweatbox, going from one prison to another. So actually going to to Southeast Asia, and you know, you're going there, and you know, I'm in recovery, but I had like untreated addiction. It wasn't. I wasn't aware of my emotional insecurities and the way. I'd, react instead of responding so that created a lot of problems with consequences how was it to adapt to that weather as well and the climate everything to go from england to then thailand well i got off the plane and i remember it was was november 2005 and um, it was don moang airport back then they've changed it now and i got off the plane and the heat was just tremendous you can imagine november back home it was snowing Mm. you know i've never actually experienced that so it gets off and it was like I met with this wave of heat and I couldn't believe that it was like November we jumped in this little tuk tuk and went to Kozan Road and it was hustling and bustling and it was just amazing and um, yeah I, I, at that time I was quite naive and I felt immediately in love with the country or the city How long were you there about before you got to jail? Um, I think it was there almost a year because I spent five years in the country. I went there for three months backpacking in 2005 and came back in 2010, so maybe just over a year. See that experience in there in your first book, you wrote about dead bodies and people fucking suicides, people having knives. Did you ever get treated for that, like PTSD or any trauma? Well, I spoke about this in in, in this story, um, about when I was in Wandsworth, I had this fella with a ponytail sitting there doing card tricks with me and all this crazy gear and I thought, you know, this is, this is, you know, I don't really need this or, or any kind of therapy. I felt I was, had like tough, a tough upbringing and I could adapt to any situation. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I replayed the horrors of someone getting stabbed and dying in front of me over and over again in my mind whilst I was banged up over there and I lived in a lot of fear and I'm not ashamed to, to admit that. It was, it was quite scary. You know, I was the minority. I'm sleeping in shells with 80 people. No one can speak English. I can barely speak Thai. So I felt really lonely. And it was it was like, you can imagine, I, it was the loneliest I'd ever felt, being in a room full of people and I couldn't communicate. I couldn't share about how I was feeling or express anything. Um, so I found that, that, that experience difficult. And what I witnessed, it was quite shocking. Why you don't see this like on a regular basis in the UK prisons? You know, I spent a lot of time in in, in, the, in the prison establishments over here. You know, growing up in prisons, that was it. I was educated in prisons, and you know, I'm not glamorised in prison by any stretch of the imagination. It was um, it was a consequence of addiction for me. How was that? Try to survive in there. Was there any times that you'd ever suicide and think, "Fuck it, oh, I need definitely, out. James. I was. There was plenty of times. I mean, I remember wanting to buy. A pair of laces off this Thai, this young Thai guy, and he um, he knew what I wanted them for. And he said, uh, 
you know, you can't kill yourself in, in the best way. He could, you know, he spoke, he said, uh, excuse me, because there was rules every morning. There was 10 rules that get, got shouted over the tannoy. I didn't understand what they were saying, but I, I knew Nung Song, Sam C, Ha, Hock, Tiet was, was once, once a 10. Nung and then they, they, they come out with it, um, a rule. And one of them was that you couldn't commit suicide. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you couldn't kill yourself. That's the truth, right? Every night, right, they'd have, they'd have a 24-hour watch in the cell, right? So you'd go to sleep, and every hour on the hour, there'd be an inmate sitting there watching the rest of the inmates. He'd be sitting at the top. The lights would be on. You never never had the lights off in the cell. You know, they had strobe lights, and they were constantly on through the night. Um, he'd be scanning the sheer bodies that was in front of him. and Any problems, he'd blow a whistle, and someone would come running, and that was how it was. Um, some people managed to fall asleep and put some... Did end the lives, but yeah, he was like, you know, what happened was if you killed yourself collectively as a shell, they'd be punished, and the punishment was quite severe. I think that was the the first time I felt a little bit like not selfless instead of selfish. You with me? It was like because they were kind to me. They were, they were you know, they were they were offering me food and that. And um, I was just depressed. I was just got to a point where I thought, I can't fucking cope with this. You know, that speaks to no one. It stinks. The food's shit. No one knows where I am. I don't know how long I'm going to save. Um, and it was just horrendous. And, um, you know, watching people, like, getting raped and having to witness that was was, was, was terrifying. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite a scary experience, James, you know. And as I'm speaking about it now, I'm reflecting on it, there was a few questions in, that were asked in, from the first book, like what happened to the drugs? Because when I got arrested, he had a load of drugs on me, weed, a bit of tablets, and I forgot to mention really, you know, where they went. And for me, if I was a reader reading that, I think, fucking hell, lads, you've got a parcel there. What's happened to me? Where's it gone? Uh, but yeah, I think the first book was rushed. I had the time. The guy who was uh, the publisher in Thailand, Eric Sharon, he, he said, look, you know, I was using drugs while I was writing that as well, you know. Back in the UK, I was in and out of it, so it was, it was going on forever. He said, "Look, I need to give you a date. Here. You need to finish it by this date, so I'm going to fill it in for you." So it was, you know, it was there was a bit of a rush on that one, so I missed a few things out. Because you can scrap, bow. You've had many fights. Like you're a proper fighter. That do you think you wouldn't have survived if you couldn't fight in a Thai prison? Well, I was a. I see. I've always been in. See, I, I, I had like the way it was. It was like I didn't have any relationships. That were positive. I always had like reaction ships. Do I'd react to say I was quite vulnerable, and I don't mean when I'm saying I'm vulnerable. I'm sensitive. I'm, I, I don't mean I'll start reading your poems off the landing and sending you flowers. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm like when I'm when I'm sensitive. I mean, if you're looking at me funny, I feel it. I think is he is it because I've said something to him or you don't let on to me? I get all this weird thinking. I think so. There's the sensitivity, you know. So I reacted that, and because I couldn't understand the language. And when he did speak, I knew they were saying something about me because it was kind of aggressive and it was in rapid sight. And I and, and I was observing and I, and, and I was listening. And if he spoke to him a bit different than he did speak to me, then I knew. Uh, so I'd react and I'd end up scrapping with a few people. But I'd always get battered because uh, it'd, be, it'd be never on one or two one, you know. And I ended up in, in, a, in a few bad states really. I, I was I was battered a few times, like him. Um, but I did give as good as I got. But yeah, it was. Uh, I was never going to win any wars there, James. Can they scrap themselves? I wouldn't say they could scrap. 
I mean, if you, the Thai boxers, the, the Thai boxers are tough, yeah, but I mean, Thai prisoners, they're just, they scrap, it'll be like about half a dozen of them on top of one. You know, they weren't there. And then anyone's, you're not going to win a fight then, are you? You know, you're getting it with all kinds. And the kid Joe Cole, who played your part, phenomenal part. The yeah. kid who's been in Peaky Blinders, who you're good friends with, who's also been on your podcast. Um, how's that relationship now? Joe, brilliant. Brilliant. He stuck by me through thick and thin, even when I'd been arrested and I'd been away. You know, we understood because he's been and lived in my shoes. He knows how complex I am or was or can be. Um, so he's done a, like a character study. So he he understands the 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 way I am. <laughs> so Tucked yeah, yes, fucked that up. Fucking element. Fucking box of frogs. Yeah, yeah but uh, yeah. So he's he's just been an incredible friend, you know, and I've, and I'm maintaining that today. And he's just like anyone else. He's not. He's not. You know, just because he's on the TV and he's doing a lot of great things, and he, he he's just a, a young kid getting through life. You know, paying the bills. You know, he has the same troubles that anyone else does. You know, and I like that because he's sat, I've sat down with him and, I, and I've had really deep conversations, and and it's 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 been um, it's been amazing just to to listen to someone else who you feel that you put on you can put on a pedestal. You know what I mean? And, and in reality. It's just the same as yourself. Yeah, phenomenal actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go to the Thai prison, but what was your plans? What was the motive to to change your life? Was it were you still battling them when you get out? Oh, I was. Yeah, I was more fuck. fucked up. I went to Wandsworth, and um, I think it was hanging in. I was just hanging, hanging on, like just to, to try and stay clean. Just trying to hang in there a little bit, and um, I managed to to to. To not use whilst I was in Wandsworth. When I got to Wandsworth, it was um, it was like a culture shock. I'd been in Thailand for five years. You know, obviously the weather was boiling over there, and I've I've come back to the UK March the thirty first. Now, prior to coming back, I didn't I didn't think I was going to ever get back to the UK, especially right. alive, because I don't know. I, I believed that a part of me believed that I'd, I'd stay there and I wouldn't get back, and I'd, I'd end up dead there. And it was a bit of me that was going, look, you know, you need to survive and get through this. This is this is the, the reality. If you don't want to survive, get through it. It was tough. You know, it wasn't tough for everyone. It was tough for me because I made it tough for me. You know, people go, yeah, I've been there. And, you know, it, it wasn't that hard. But, yeah, you know, you probably played chess and washed someone's socks. I never. You know, I went about it really tough. I, I was involved in drugs, in debt, um, always in and out of fights. So with that kind of lifestyle comes a lot of consequences. So the feelings were... Will I get out? Well, I'm going to get out. And when the um, the MC came and said, "Look, we get a repatriation for you. We're going to get you back to the UK." I was delighted. It was made up, and that was uh, happening around about March the twenty eighth, two thousand and ten. But prior to that, there was something called like the Reds and the Yellow kind of process going on. Bangkok was on fire. There was bombs going off. The airport was surrounded, it was blocked off. They kept coming back to me saying, look, your flight's being um, delayed. You won't be going back to the UK. This, you know? And to get these messages from, like, I, you got to remember, I've got no outside, um, I'm, not, I'm not hearing exactly what's going on outside. There's no radios in the in, in the cells. The TVs are just Thai game shows. We can't understand the word that's getting said on them. Um, so I had no idea what was going on. No one was coming in and telling me that the city was all on fire and everything. Um, I'm just getting told it's delayed. We don't know when. So I'm thinking, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Uh, and he didn't really want to tell me what date it was that you go because of a security risk. Anyway, they did come. It was on the 31st 
of March 2010. It was a 12-hour flight. I remember getting on a... I remember the screw, Mr. Moneypenny. And he said to me, what religion are you? Before he said to me, what religion are you? He asked me, uh, he was telling me about Wandsworth. He was talking about the Muslim gangs. Now, I'd changed my religion in Thailand to, to Islam. You know, I mean, my name was Yusuf Muhammad. Now, I did that because I wanted to keep the engine room alive. I was hungry. Um, I remember walking around after paying these debts. But I never actually had the money to pay these debts. I, I begged these missionaries to help me, so they supported me. I was going to end up dead. I was going to end up with like like getting injected with with, with HIV, and I, I didn't fancy having a, a long death sentence. I just pff, didn't fancy fucking dying at all in in, in that way. Um, so I got these deaths cleared up. I, I kept walking around the prison and, and seeing these Muslim guys eating this food, and he says, you know, you can you can sit with us today and have something to eat, and I did, and he enjoyed it, and I said, I'll come back tomorrow. And he went, say, no, no, my friend, only only got the Muslim brothers. So I thought, yeah, all right, sound, come back. And I changed my name to Yusuf Muhammad, threw a skull cap on. And I thought, this is sound. I'll have my dinner every dinner. Time here. Um, which they did. And then he went, you'll have to move into our cell. So they moved me into the cell for a year. So like, I was late reading the Quran. I enjoyed it. You know, it's, it's, it was an experience. Um, all the foreigners, foreigners that were there were judging me and, uh, and saying, you know, you're blagging it. I, I couldn't get a care less, mate. I'm fucking surviving. Survival mode. It is what it is. I'm trying to get through the best way I can. Um, but I learned how to, to read uh, Arabic and, you know, I've done a Fajr and a Shahada and, you know, and that's, I, I learned about the, the way Quran meant to recite. So I learned a lot about the Islamic um, religion. But I, I was also asking questions about, like, because I was naive and and, and I, I, I believed what the, the papers said. And if you, if you say, like, you know, it, Muslims backpacks and all that. So I asked, what's all this? You know, people killing each other. And he, he said, look, Bill, they're extremists, the fundamentalist. He said, Islam means peace. He said, when I say to you, alaykum wa rahmatullah, alhamdulillah, that means peace be with your brother and you're safe. So I learned a few, a few things. He said, people like that, they can't really claim to be, you know, a religion of peace. So it was nice. It was nice. Um, and it kept me safe. It kept me alive. And when I was on the plane, one of the uh, the screw that was talking about what religion I was, he was mentioning these Muslim gangs in London and I like, put them down. And then when he asked me what I was, I just said, uh, I said, no, I'm an atheist. I felt embarrassed. Why? I felt I'd be judged instead of just admitting and accepting. I didn't want to kind of rock the boat. It was just, fucking hell, you know, what am I? Until I got there. And when I'm in Wandsworth, I felt really guilty about denying this religion that had kept me alive for over a year. And I spoke to the inman in, in Wandsworth prison and, and I explained my situation and I told him why I denied it. And he said, look, just come to a tumor on a Friday. He said, I'll have you opened up. I went, okay, I'll, I'll come along. Because they, they enjoyed it. It was quite, uh, it kept me kept me grounded. And I remember on a Friday afternoon when my door opened, it was the same screw that had brought me over right, from Thailand. And he looked at me, dressed in this sarong, and he went, just shook his head. <laughs> I said, what the fuck? He sh sh shrugged and smiled and moved on. And that was it, I was okay with it. You know, I knew I wasn't uh, when I got out. I ended up fucking, I just ran a bend. There's something that, like, I, I, I do, um, I'm involved in, in a recovery program, and there's something that says, we sort health through religion, psychiatry, and medication, right? 
So we were seeking help in, in religion, psychiatry, medication, everything. But like being at peace with yourself, right? I was looking for a lot of things outside of me to look after me. Drugs, different drugs. You know, I'm on this drug, so they'll give me that drug to come off this drug. So I never came off anything. I'll sit with a psychiatrist and I'll talk about my feelings for fucking years. You know, nothing's changing. You know, I, I'll, I'll change my religion. I went from 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 a, from a Catholic to a Buddhist to, to, to a Muslim to to fucking hell. I'll be a Hindu. I'll be whatever it takes to to, to keep me to me the, mad. Yeah, because yeah, because you know it's 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 quite it's on fire. My thinking's quite uh, volatile, and you know I get forced. I come through the back door uninvited and fucking call me all the twats going. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's just all the pain and trauma you've yeah. seen. You've been through a fucking hell of a life, yeah. Paul. It's a, a constant battle, but for what you're achieving now is unbelievable, and that's how I'm proud of you. Yeah. When you talk about people getting injected with HIV, what what does that mean? So what they did, they had these improvised syringes made out of pens, these ties. So they'd get this, and it was white. It was heroin. Was white. It was it was it was pure fucking. It was pure pure heroin. I'd be smuggled in by prison guards. You know. You're not supposed to have money in the prison, but there was loads of money getting flashed about. Uh, currency was the king's head, stamps. You know, there was a lot of currency with stamps. You could you had to buy your food because if you didn't have money, you'd be in prison. Issue, standard, shite, slop, which was fish head soup uh, and a bowl of sticky rice twice a day. And it's, it was fucking filth. And you, you, the smell of it would knock you sick. You know, I remember the first time I was holding my nose and I was I was eating the rice and trying to stomach a little bit of uh, this soup and it was just fucking disgusting. You know, it had like a film of dirt on it and there's flies all over it. And, you know, you, you just, you think, how the, this is, this is, oh, it's just horrendous, you know what I mean? It was horrible. Um, you had a little bit of money, you could eat, a, eat, eat well. Um, and that's, that's, that's what I strived for, just just to eat well and survive. And they were injecting people with? Yeah, so back to the, um, with the heroin, the monopoly was like, there was a lot of Nigerians in the prison, they were shelling the heroin and, and there was also the Thai mafia, they were dealing with it. Samurai gangs, they're called Thai samurai. Um, tattooed from head to toe, quite dangerous. Very small, but like packs of them. And they didn't care you know, they had no value of life. So um, what had happened is if, you know, if you didn't have your money to pay that debt, I've seen it, you know, they've stuck syringes full of blood in other people and it was horrible, you know. I remember seeing this little Malaysian kid. He was always in debt. Um, and he got him at the back of the billets. And that was it. He just, he punched them full of holes and he was like, you know what? <sighs> Fucking, you just know, you just know that's it, he's dead. Whether it's then or in, in a few years, but yeah. That's fucking scary. Yeah. That's scary. I don't know, you know, I talk about this, these stories, James, right? I've, I've shared this a few times. You know, you, yours, you know, yours were the first podcast I've ever, I'd ever been on. Um, I've been on a few since. And I've repeated my story over and over again. I've wrote about it a million times. I've, I've sat in conventions and talked about it. Um, people find it quite um, intriguing and interesting. Human interest stories, survival stories. People are like, 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 love listening to that kind of stuff. I don't know why, but um, 
it becomes like you, you, you're conditioned to just talk about it and it becomes normalised. Mm-hmm. So when I say to someone, yeah, I remember get, some kid getting stabbed, stabbing himself in the neck, right? And there was blood everywhere. He ran in the, the, the guard's office. Don't know why, what was going on. He stabbed himself in the neck and he come out and took himself hostage. <laughs> he, had, he, had, he had the blades to his throat. It was blood pumping from everywhere. He was known to have HIV. All the guards with standing back, they were terrified. Everyone was scattering. And the first thought in my mind was, while everyone's distracted, the queue's a little bit low. I'll go and get some hot water. That was it. It wasn't like, wow, look at this. Because I'd seen it that many times. You know, I just... And when you tell people that story, they go, what the fuck? What's wrong with you? Why didn't you? I don't know. I was just like... It, it was over and over and over again. It was a daily thing. You know, I was just more concerned about getting a decent cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, than watching a little bit of drama. And I think that's what life's all about. People love drama. People love like toxic platforms. And I, and I look at it and I, and I look at my brother getting back to, to our job and I think, I want to inspire positivity. You're right, I've been living it. I've lived in that that way, that, that toxic, toxic way of living and all that drama and trying to get attention and all the emotional vampires jumping on it because they love it, you know? Um, and there's not enough love and there's not enough positivity out there. And I hope that me and my brother can provide that. That's it, because I've lived that negative way of living. It's shit. It's very immature. You know, I've had to, had to grow up pretty quick. I've, and I think you will grow up if you see shit like that. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> but yeah. That's tiresome, though, all the negativity and all the bullshit. And <clears throat> like, I've been doing this for a year, and yeah. not once have I broke, not once have I shouting out and screaming like, for me, but what's embarrassing? Like, I'm trying to make changes. Every guest I have on, no matter who it is, there's always something you can pick up on. There's yeah. always mental health getting spoke about. Everybody battles in their own way, their own demons. We deal with them separately. Some people deal with them by whatever it is they do. But for me, it's all about trying to be, show compassion, show a bit of love. But listen, we're still fucking animals. We'll take no shit. But life can be good if you want it to be good. I just yeah. try and create something constantly working, constantly pushing the boundaries, constantly raising the bar. It's difficult, like life ain't easy, but it's not supposed to be easy. But as human beings, we can strive towards greatness, we can strive towards better. All the negative bullshit, I do not deal with it. Like, for me, I don't want to get involved in any negativity. It always comes your way, you'll always be tested. But for me, listen, I prove by my actions. I'm not one of these guys who's constantly, my job is to talk, but I don't constantly talk in bullshit, bullshit. Like, I'm working hard, same as yourself. I just want a better life, not just for ourselves, for our family. And you'll see the bad eggs everywhere and that happens, but there's also good eggs as well. There's also good people trying to make a change, trying to better themselves. And that's very important in life is to learn yeah. from the people who are actually doing it. Too many people have got platforms now where they just talk shit, Bill. Yeah. Just talking absolute garbage in it. People can buy into the bullshit, drama sales. It's us, it's us, James, I see it. You know, sometimes I think, fucking hell, look at the followers he's getting. And he's just like sh- chatting loads of shit. You know, and I don't feel um, um, I'd like to do something like that just to, ga- to gain that kind of following because the following that you're getting is probably toxic as well and that they enjoy that stuff, you know what I mean? So I avoid that. Um, and there's never been a negative comment on a post I've shared with my brother, you know, right? Everyone's, you know, and Twitter's quite critical. You know, you know yourself, yeah, it's, you, ruthless. It's, it's ruthless. Um, 
because I believe that, you know, he's quite, he's dead innocence and he's not scripted. He shares it how it is and it's, it's, it's beautiful. You know, I was with him last night after I left, left, left this year, left the events and, um, I don't know, he's just, um, I just love the bones of him. I'll be sitting in a car with him and he'll just randomly say, I love you, you know. And I don't know how to respond, you know, James, like, I go, yeah, do you, lad? Because, you know, He's like... still quite guarded, Bo. Yeah, it's like even with my partner, I'm like, you know, I feel like when she's... She's an amazing woman, by the way. Yeah, amazing. She, she's beautiful and she's, she's, she's a great woman. And, you know, when she hugs me, I feel like I want to escape. I feel like I'm... I don't know what is it. I think it's the years and years of trauma and, you know, loss and, you know, rejection and make-ups and break-ups and shake-ups and all the shit that goes with life and, you know, the feelings that I've gone through and, you know, the, the codependency. And, you know, she's got the end of this now, you know, like, here I am at, at, at a stage in my life where I feel a little bit more grounded. And four years in recovery, I haven't touched or used a drug or drink in, in, in all that time. You know, I, I was still on a tag. I was on a tag when you done a podcast with me. Still in your mum's house. Yeah, still in my mum's, on a tag. Um, I'm feeling really, feeling really embarrassed and ashamed of uh, the shit that I'd done. But then I kind of understood that, like, I'd done these things because I was driven by a substance and with sound to clear a clarity of mind, I wouldn't have done it. Um, so I had to stop beating myself up. And Big John said it last night, you know, you shut the door in the past, we move forward. Um, and that was something that stuck out of his little chat last night. And I thought, wow. Yeah, Big John Fury yeah. at a live audience last night with Big John. And what a man that interview a lot of people you're up there with yeah. Big John like, I always give you support always give you love Bo. and again that man as well is he's battles he just stays in his little his little hut he says and just does his own thing like, his son's the yeah. biggest superstar on the planet is, um, and they're just so humble and you you become a recluse it's weird that like, yeah. when you talk about the struggles when you start changing when you come off the drink the drugs when I started making all the wee changes the conscience that you get because yeah. you get clarity of the pain the misery you've caused and that's the difficult thing because then that shit which makes you want to turn back and go back on the gear yeah. but then once you start battling through it things start changing new opportunities arise this is why I always say you just keep going by consistency consistency look at the doors that are opening for me now three years deep yeah. it's not a six month one year plan it's a two years three years and then yourself you'll be doing live audiences everywhere with different people you just keep building the name building the brand and then doors open like the guests and caliber I guess that I can get there now is unbelievable yeah. to where I've started to what I'm achieving now this is why it's important for people listening consistency is key everybody starts nobody finishes but yeah. we'll never finish the race completely anyway because we're all going to fucking die but yeah. It's to finish strong and, and get to as close to happiness as possible, which is a hard thing to do because we don't really know what happiness is to a certain degree because we always want more of it. When I'm happy, Bill, something will come into my mind and I think, why are you happy? Look what you've done. And sabotage. Yeah. yeah, and then I start feeling sad yeah. again and then I feel normal because my life's been used to chaos. Well, do you know what I think? Like, you know, when we're talking and I'm between podcasts and we're interviewing guests and like yourself, uh, I, I feel it's nice to identify like yourself, you know, with a... Uh, their experience as well, so they feel like they're not alone. You know, I'll sit there and, I'll, and someone will see, I'm like yourself, we haven't come in with a list of questions. Mm. I don't think that's authentic. You sit in there and go, okay, so what happened here, Bill? What happened there? Uh, so I've never done that. I've never really done any research. I don't watch podcasts, to be honest. I'm not really a big fan of like watching them. I don't know why. I've watched a few. Um, I watched a few of you, 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 yours and, and, and uh, Joe Rogan and 
Oh, but I don't really um, I can get really critical, you say, so I avoid it. <laughs> I avoid it and I'm right I'm a proper fucking judgmental fucking <laughs> bastard, you know what I mean? Sometimes I pray, I pray for that judgment, but um you know, and I'm like, oh fuck this. And I know that's just the toxic kind of like the way I can manipulate myself into into to to pulling someone else down because I feel shit at that moment about myself, so I want to elevate myself. And I think that fucking James English and this and that, mm. and, you know, I can get quite envious. And, and the reality of it is, you know, I'm in a sick place then. I've done that. Who the fuck, I've had that guest, and he's had that guest. And then people <laughs> go to me, I phoned him, and I thought, he's a bit fucking fast off the mark, this cunt. This is me, head, right? And then I go, stop it, Bill. It's a business. Mm. It is what it is. And um, I remember uh, speaking to Rodri. And he was like, oh, no way, Billy, I've just spoke to James the week before. And I thought, <laughs> How the fuck did he even know about mm-hmm. you? You know, so it's, um, but I forget that you're being in this, you know, and I'll say this how it, how, how it is, James, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have probably, well, I wouldn't have because I wasn't really that keen on doing podcasts. I didn't understand it. I didn't think it was IT. Well, I'm not. Be paid as all he has. Um, thanks, by the way, Michelle. Um, <laughs> doing a great job. And, it got to a point where I was telling my story and I was getting asked that many times to go on podcast. I was on like through Geordie. And I've done great numbers for animals, over two million. Um and I'll tell you something now. Well, why it went well, right? Because I'd never heard of the through Geordie, right? I'd never heard of yourself, I'd never heard of Sue Geordie. I went on yourself, I was a bit like, oh, what the fuck's this? Went on uh, Brian's uh, fucking great fella, Brian, and I never knew who he was. He'd asked me like two years before. And I said to him, is there any money in it? <laughs> That's it. You're going to pay me? He went, no, it'll, it'll, it'll expose your platform. And I went, what the fuck platform? I haven't got a platform. I'm fucking on the gear here. <laughs> you know, fucked. Help me out. Yeah. And he says, I have a pound out. And he just swerved him. And then a couple of years later, someone's got on a through, Jordy. You know, you're, you're on it all now, Bill. Strike while the iron's hot. You're just being on James. So I sent him a message. said, oh, come on then. Like, like I'm doing him a favour. I didn't know any of his background. I went on there and I was like, fucking in, the, in Kansas, London, paid for me to go up. That's a bit fucking, you know, a smart little area, this, isn't it? You know what I mean? A nice little type of pad he's got. Sat in there, properly rig out and that. I, thought, I didn't feel intimidated because Lawrence was there and Lawrence is a nice kid, you know what I mean? So it was a bit of a like chalk and cheese, the big fella and the, and the sort of like the posh kid. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, cop. it was... Um, and uh, I don't know, I was, just, I was in my element then. I was quite, I kind of felt a bit confident about delivering like the topic that I knew I was good at talking about because of the experience there. So yeah, um, coming back to, to that kind of stuff, I got to a stage where I got fed up of it in myself. Like, you know, I don't mind, it's because we can talk about this second story in which, you know, to write a second book, right, to have two bios in a lifetime, it's quite an achievement, especially a movie. Um, and I feel that I've succeeded a lot. But there's a part of me thinks it's never enough. It's never enough. Now this story, you, know, you think the first one's tough, you know, this one's just as fucking bad. You know, um and a lot of people who are know of being on the same journey as me, you know, it's 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 um yeah, so I'm losing my train of thought there. Where was I, James? The podcast, bro. Oh, the podcast, yeah. So I started one with the All or Nothing. And um, someone said, he's got a name called the All or Nothing. I'm not asked. It's fucking my fucking All or Nothing with me. Never mind him or him. You know, it's, I'm not trying to fucking plagiarise. So, so I've, I've got on it. I've, I've got used my first guest. To be fair, it was my brother, Joe. Right. Joe, 
you were my first guest. Out big shout out to Joe, yeah. And then yourself, James, and um, it's, it got big numbers. And I want to shout out to um, the kid, Alistair, who passed away. You met him. Okay, man. Quite, uh, feel quite saddened to, you know, he was, he, he, Alistair Robinson, he... Um, do you know he, what? We'll dedicate this podcast with yeah. him. I'll put a photo up at the start of it and we'll yeah, dedicate it to him. Yeah, because um, he was looking forward to meeting you and we'd done a podcast in his apartments in, in Liverpool. And one camera. One camera, yeah. And he ended up killing himself about six weeks ago. Which and he's only 33. And that's mental health and addiction. The kid was there. And, he, and he helped me out and uh, I appreciated all his support. Oh, although he was a box of frogs and he was he, he was a nice he was a nice man. Um, so yeah, this is for, for Alistair. And I, ever since, you know, I've committed myself to doing a podcast once a week, which is hard. Yeah. Fucking hell, mate. It's not easy. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Setting up on my own, mm-hmm. like yourself, you know, turning up at someone's house. And um, it's been, it's been like, I've enjoyed it. Sometimes you sit there, you know, what the fuck am I going to say here? How's this going to go? And there has been a odd one or two where it's like you, you fucking pull a nail trying to get, you know, a conversation mm-hmm. out of someone. And I can understand because if you're not used to being behind the camera, it can be quite difficult. You know, so hi, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not that fucking vain. But yeah, I've enjoyed the, the well, love it. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I've enjoyed the journey so far. You know, I've had some great guests and some of the comments. Nice one for all the comments. You know, all of you that say, <clears throat> you know, how many of these have you robbed off James now? <laughs> and I don't know, probably about half a dozen. You know, it's not about, and, and have you ever watched the ones that we've both done? They're different. They're different spins yeah. on them, and you know. But this is—it's only interviews. Like I will help out anybody. Yeah. If somebody sees a guest, oh, I like him. Can I have it? There's their details. It's exposure for them. They've been good enough to come on my show. That it's not about. It's competition, this and that. Everybody's on their little journey. These yeah. are therapy sessions for people. So I guess that I've had on and you have on. Yeah. It's different audiences as well, and people can pick up different things. Like. Nobody's in competition with me. I do my own thing. I work hard to be where I am. Like, yeah. I'm not interested in the bullshit, bro, the drama. People can say what they want. I don't retaliate. I just work hard in life. If you've got enemies or you want to hurt your enemies, kill them with success, bro. Yeah. Go and prepare yourself for an amazing life because that hurts people more. And it, I'm just not interested. I just want to stay stay hard working, provide for my family. I'm creating a big platform. I'm getting great guests. I'm making money. I'm traveling all over. Yeah. I'm succeeding. I don't need to get involved in the bullshit now. And that's the, sh- the shame, James. I feel like I'm not going to have a platform for people to, to, to put people down. It's yeah, not him. No. And I'll never have a guest on. And if, they, if they've got a bit of beef with someone, I'll say, look, you've got a bit of beef. I haven't. It's, it's your, it's, it's your, let's move on and talk about you and not talk about this other individual because it's not fair. You know, they're not here to defend, defend themselves. themselves. So I avoid, right? And I've had a few guests on which can be controversial. Um, and I haven't put them up yet. Probably put them up by the time. Yeah, well, by the time this is on, it'll be up in name. Um, I've always, I, I, you know, I, I keep it simple. You know, talk about you. It's your experience, your journey. And and, and, and that's it, it's great. Um, and it's, um, it's it's been going well. I started off with, with fucking no subscribers. Mm-hmm. Literally, well, October. I think I've reached almost 17,000 subscribers in, in six, seven months, which is incredible for me, I believe. I, I, I kind of persevered, you know, and um, a lot of people have helped and, 
retweeted and supported and for all those that have subscribed and, and commented they appreciate it and, and I feel that yeah you, it is because the comments underneath are like you know you're really helping me you're talking about addiction you're talking about mental health there's a lot I'm fucking experienced me I've got a lot of lived experience mm -hmm. you know um, I'm still here I'm still clean I've been through a lot of shit I've had cancer stage three I've been in prisons and, and it's been fucking really tough you know, I've had relationship breakups while I, and I've ended up on the heroin and crack cocaine. You know, I've been in, in, in institutions and I think, do you know what fucking hell, why are you still here? Why are you still here? And I think, there's a reason, right? I've never had kids, you know, I've never had kids. I was, like I said, I'm living on a fucking, on a camp bed with two Bichons, my ma, her husband and uh, Joe. And my fucking life is like, what the fuck? I've just got, through stage three cancer, I got out of a prison where I had a girlfriend at the time that had did on me, which is difficult. And I stayed clean, by the way. I was in prison and I was in recovery. And this is where I wrote that second book. And it was this is a big observation on um, the prison establishments that are currently um, going on today. And this is there's a big, big, uh, big, big chapter on on. Out that is now, you know what I mean, which is important, mm -hmm. relevant. The spice epidemic, um, you know, it's, uh, this this book sort of explores my childhood a lot more. You know, goes what stuff? This, this what stuff? Grow yeah. well, growing up and feeling it, uh, feeling less than, feeling rejected, screaming out for a bit of love from my dad, um, getting beat up by someone who I thought was my hero, and I loved. But still getting beat up and telling them I loved them. No, that's that's like you know we're getting battered and, and, and you know telling your dad that you you, you love him. It's 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 um, it was fucking having to write that stuff, James, and, and having to watch me mum, you know, grow old before my eyes. You know, I'd been see this is what this this story is about, like traveling, going about your life self centered, um, not thinking about anyone, like my brother Joe. He's in the way. My mum's my mum and that's it. Take it for granted. My brothers and sisters, I can't be honest with them. Um, it's just me and, and, and me against the world. And then it stops. And then you're in, they're in front of you, your family, and you think, 15 years have gone by. And you really take a good look at your family. You go, they've all aged. You know, your mum's fucking hell, there's wrinkles there. and It's so sad to... Um, it's, it's, it's an experience that. So when I'm writing this 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 second story, I'm talking. I'm I'm going right through my childhood and going right through um, growing up, and, you know, and, and the reasons why I'm so complex. And there's a contributing factor to an individual's behaviour. You know, I'm aware now that I was in. Um, I wasn't given any guidance or any, there was no divine intervention where someone would be stepping in. I was just left to my own devices, you know. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot in that story um, that I felt that helped me heal. Now, you know, now I've got a family, you know, I've got a little boy, fucking wow, that's, that's you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer, I told I couldn't have kids. Now I've been with this talks about being with three women that I thought I'd loved, that I've all aborted. 
pregnancies, which broke my heart, James. I mean, I'm I'm talking about from like when I was in, from my twenties up up until like my late thirties, and the relationships. I see there's a lot of mistrust with women. You know, they aborted pregnancies, and I couldn't trust them. And then I met this girl, and she became pregnant, and I was shocked to say the least because I didn't think he had anything in the bank <laughs> because of cancer, the cancer, um, and we had this beautiful baby boy which is just fucking hell he's gorgeous obviously takes after me <laughs> oh yeah he's gorgeous and um, <clears throat> I'm being with him every single day and just watching him grow and I think this is the right time I would never have been a dad I, I could never be a brother I could never be a son you know I could never be a partner uh, you know drugs were robbing my soul I was plowing misery into myself for decades you know, and now I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grounded and I've got a family and a house and, you know, I'm doing a lot of things that are benefiting myself and the community, which is important. You know, I think it's a community and family values now and my mum phones me up for a bit of advice and I was with her last night and, you know, spend more time with my brother than I do. And he's, he's my hero. People say, you're his. He's not. He inspires me to stay to be a better person, James, he does, you know, it's, um, oh, hell, he's just, just an absolutely beautiful, amazing soul, um, and I don't know why I didn't see that years ago, I was blocked, I was, I was, you know, for anyone out there, he's got family, and, you know, they are important, don't dismiss them, it's, um, the ones that love you, they're the ones that are sitting next to you, not yeah. the ones that, are in fucking, some other part of the country, smiling on Facebook or yeah it's difficult Twitter. divisions block bowl that yeah. if you're taking drink drugs if you're taking all the bullshit of the day you can't see the great things that you have around you because all you're constantly thinking of is your next fix how can I lie to get out of the house to go to the pub the extra day to stay out for three days to get money to you just become a pure liar you become a fraud and you become a failure and what happens is that then bowls anger because you know what you're doing is wrong how hard is it both to be in an abusive relationship with your father the volatile relationship to then having your son to then want to be the best father you can be? Do you, do you try and not make the same mistakes as your dad? Oh, oh definitely, Jane. I, like, I, look, I look at my little boy and I think, how could I, anybody you know, harm a child? Or um, I just, I just me, 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 me heart swells with love and pride. And I just, he can do anything. He's, he's, <laughs> he's just, he's just, it's just, I feel like I nurture him. I can teach him, I can allow him to, to have choices and, and, and not, Tell him what he's going to be doing in life. Like my dad says, you're going to be a boxer. I didn't want to fucking be a boxer. I wanted to be in the army. You know, and um, I thought, you know, my dad used me as a punch bag and I became a boxer. And you know, I felt it was pretty good at it. And when I, I got a bit of attention from girls, I thought that I didn't need my dad's attention. I didn't need his love. You know, I found, like, you know, I was looking for self-esteem in, in other places. And I found it, like, with the people around me. And um, they say, don't eat bad company, corrupts got good character and I felt like I was a good kid I felt really believed I was a good kid I was a good kid um, I'd look at my mum and watch her cry and think you know I'll never be like my dad because I know he's hurt you and she looked at me and said you know you're going to be a good you know you're a good you're a good boy um, but I became like him in other ways you know I was a bully I was I was violent I was I was I was a fucking mess you know you know I'll take responsibility for my actions James I'll take responsibility I'm accountable for the shit that I, I dished out. So what I do today is like, 
I was, I was a drag to society. It was a drain on the fucking on life. And um, I think today I feel as if um, giving back a little bit's important. I was speaking to a friend of ours, Michael Emmy. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. What a lovely man. Mm-hmm. Right. Drug runner. Right. What a, what a honest, we've, we've had some great chats and, and um, these are the people that I like around me. I like like I like to, to have around me. Not these fucking social media fucking gangsters and dramas and, and all yeah. that. The, the, the shit that go, come on, stop it. Get your, get your fucking shit together. <laughs> honest, it's like, how old are you? What, what are you doing? What's your agenda? Do you need to be like so fucking suffer with like low self-esteem that much that you need to validate yourself with uh, with likes and comments and, and followers. Right, if you want to follow me, follow me, nice one. If you don't, then, you know, nice one, and it's not gonna, it's not gonna cause me any problems because it's, 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 you've never been in my life anyway. And the people that do, I really appreciate it. It's, it's nice to be supported in, in a nice positive way. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that, that do, support me and, and and I know that there'll be comments from you know people who who, who don't know me and, and like Big John said last night you know, we love those trolls you know, we care about them as well yeah I like that what he says you know we, we care about those trolls I don't know what a fucking troll is right I don't know what a troll is I just fucking I think I grew up with a few you know what I mean in our school but I don't know what one is and I, and I you know, I think it's somebody who comments and tries to inflame a bit of shit. Yeah. I'm not asked. It's like, I'll just go, thanks for watching. Yeah. The thing with me, back. bro, I've got over 400 videos on my channel. Yeah. Every single one makes me money. If people mention me, it draws traffic towards my channel. I make money. I sleep. I make money. Yeah. I'm a different fucking level. I ain't got time to retaliate. I ain't got time to talk shit. I'm a positive man, yeah. try to make positive changes, but I still will always stand my ground. Like, but I've got too much going good for my life. Why? Because I create that. Yeah. There's thousands, billions of things you can grab onto and talk shit. Billions. But I want to talk, talk about the billions of stuff that's going good in the world. But we are human. You do. People throw your past up in your fucking face. Ah, uh, mate. As if you're thinking, I fucking, I don't hide, I don't deny. I've, I've seen make, it. I've do you seen know what I mean? It's embarrassing. I've seen it, James, and it's like, like it's like, all right, yeah, so he's done this and he's done that. And, and, and I, and like, 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 it's like, look, shut, we've shut the door on that mm-hmm. past, right? If it was continued, continuing to be doing stuff like that today, currently, presently, mm-hmm. then yeah, fair comment, judge me, tell me I'm a cunt, but if I'm not, give us a squeeze, will you? Then again, I don't even need one off you. I'm all right. Um, you know, and I know that you look, you did, and I looked at the last podcast. It's a Billy Moore gangster. I'm not a gangster. I never have been, by the way. I was on the receiving end, receiving end of like addiction, and but I know tagline sell, and that's my biggest struggle at the moment. The tagline, what do I put on? Of course, it's hard. You know, because if you look at a YouTube video, something that grips you is the tagline. You know, and hmm. then you could watch and think, what the fuck? He's not a fucking gangster. I'm not, by the way. But I could have been. No, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be, you know what I mean? Social media gangster. But um, no, um, I've uh, I've got no... I think it's important just to just to build people up, James. It really is. It's a, to build people up. We live... You know, life's too short. We're here for a few short decades. We're blessed. Um, I don't think I've got any time for... 
for, for fucking all that shit. Nah, it's too, it's too consuming, bro. She what my mate said to me, right? This is what my mate said to me. And this is a bit of advice she once said to me. She said, Billy, you either get busy living or you get busy dying. You've got a choice. And um, and that's what I do. I'm busy. And, and I, I'm too busy to... to uh, to, to to be depressed or too busy to I'm I'm always active. I'm in the gym regular, you know. Um but I'm with my brother, I'm with my family, I'm with my partner, with my baby, you know, I I I do what I need to do. Yeah, I just keep busy. But I do have my struggles. I can't fucking concentrate on anything. You know, overnight I'm trying to lie there, watch I think I'll watch something tonight. And I'll probably watch about five different episodes or something before I make a decision on what I want to watch <laughs> <laughs> I'll, go, I'll start something right I'll get it about 15 minutes ago this is shit I'll start something else and then I'll come back to that so I know me um, my concentration levels mm -hmm. are on fire and then I'll be on my phone right I'm on oh mate that fucking, it's, a, it's a nightmare um, looking at like who's, who's, who's messaged or what the YouTube comments are or how many likes or how many followers and I do that and I can't help myself it's like what, what's wrong with you you know, how many subs this week and uh, I, had, I had so many. I've lost one. I thought my bears up, look, I've lost one. Mm -hmm. It's gone. Don't think you're good <laughs> enough anymore. That's, it's a, this is a business. Yeah, it's, this is just a business. Life's like, fucking mad, isn't it? It's just a business. Like, I bring guests in because it creates views. The more yeah. views it creates people talking, the more people talk, then the more things that come with it, the more doors that open, the more money that comes yeah. with it. It's just a business. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course you can. Right. What do you think of the Scousers? Because you've had a few experiences with Scousers, haven't you? I fucking love the Scousers, yeah. bro. This is my second home. Like, I was in Runcon last night. Yeah. Couldn't be more loved. Tony, Tony Morell, brilliant. Tony Morell, shout out to Tony. Yeah. Great guy. Like, the Scousers are 100%. They're all, majority, are fucking sound. Everybody that's came across, I've came across, are amazing. They're, loyal they're solid and they're all sound love the scousers my second home lit i genuinely do like they're fucking nuts yeah. liverpool and glasgow we, we have fucking like, he's all, every scouser i've had on is a fucking nutcase but from me. people people love the scouse glasgow yeah. scouse are the same it's like there's a brotherhood there there's a connection there i yeah. don't know what the connection is but there is a strong connection and a strong bond like i think it's just um it's the same with, with with me and and the kids from Glasgow. I've got a good few friends, George, George Nelson, uh, you know, he's in my story. And I remember him coming down with a guy um to visit me and he died in my house, the kid from Glasgow, and I wrote about it and it was quite sad because I had to wake up and see him there and spent eight hours and uh, with the police while he was lying there. It was horrible, it was an horrible experience. This is stuff that, you know, I've had to to, to this is trauma. You know, you know, finding people dead in your bed and, you know, who are friends that have overdosed on drugs, you know, having to see them in that, that state. Um, you know, so, I'm the same. I love, I love Glasgow. I love, I've really been any further than Glasgow. I mean, um, I've enjoyed uh, Mary Earl and Postle and you know, a few friends. Yeah, uh, tweet, tweet. Yeah, a few friends around the area. But yeah, it's, um, I think it's, you know, and it's like even like Liverpool, I've got a, like Darren Schmidt, you know, He's um, he's been a really big help to me, you know, over the past. He's the guy who's he's done a few podcasts with me. He's very popular, funny man. Says how it is. Um, we were supposed to do it in this gym, unfortunately today, but uh, you know, it's it's um, we will do it again. We will. But um, yeah, he's he's helped me out a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? So your relationship with your dad, Bo, did you ever get any peace with that before he died? I did. I did. Yeah. 
My dad, he died of cancer in 2013, and for the past, for the last 10 years of his life, you know, um, I spent sitting in his little flat with him, but not see, speaking quite well, really. He used to go to his flat once a week and just sit there, and he'd sit there, and he was off the aisle, but he was, um, he, he never addressed his problems. He was one of those, I'm off it, and that's it. I've still got the shit going on, I'm not addressing it. Um, I was already in recovery then. I was addressing my, like um, my demons, and he wasn't. And um, I just sat there, and we we just. I remember all the resentments he had towards him, and hatred and love and all that, all the mixed feelings that were going on. And I was in a treatment centre, and when I came home for a weekend leave from Bristol, I wanted to see me dad because he had all these feelings. I hadn't seen him for a long time, and he was living in this hostel by this this stage, um, it was the middle of winter, I had my niece with me, Megan, I was holding her hand and it was snowing. And I went to this this place where he was and I was nervous. You know, this is the first time I, I, I was going to speak to my dad. You know, after all the, uh, the shit that had happened as a kid. And I knocked at the door, walked in and there he was with a little flat cap on. And he was very intimidating, my dad. He, like, like, he was a big man. When I was a kid and he was quite scary and he'd only have to look at me and I'd, I'd shit myself. You know, I was frightened and um, I looked, our eyes locked, it was weird, you know, James, our eyes locked for that brief moment and I saw all the pain, all the loss and all that sadness in his eyes and I felt it and I had this lump coming up in my throat and it was, it was weird, it was just like, he knew and I knew that we were both hurting but we couldn't really speak about it. And then he looked away and I looked away and I went, got to get off now, Dad, take care. That was all that was said. And I walked out, I had my niece with me, she was five years old and, and, and the tears were welling up in my eyes and you know, I blinked and he started to come down and she looked at me and she said, you're okay? And I remember it. She, she was quite intelligent for a five-year-old, you know what I mean? She went, she squeezed me and went, you're going to be okay, you know? And I was, this is, a, this is from a little five-year-old girl who's, who, who could see the pain and and, 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 and the heartache it was going through. But I also felt my dad, at that moment, it was, I forgave him. I forget there was forgiveness. It just, it just, uh, it just came over me. It was like, I seen all his pain. I seen the years of torment he'd been through. Um, and he had that empathy and that compassion, that understanding. And uh, forgiveness. And I held his hand when he passed away in hospital and it was the first time he said I love you it was the first time he said it and he meant it and I was like oh, he just took his mask off and he went to I love you and, and, and uh, we were all we were all um, we were all, all siblings were there my sister was and she was in prison you know this is the fucking family you've got um, and we felt I don't know if anyone else has experienced anything like this but the moment he passed there was a chill in the room. Everyone felt it. Something was gone, something left. Um, and I felt it. It was like, whoa, fucking hell. You know, it was 28 minutes past 10 in the morning because I looked at the clock and that was the moment he'd gone. Uh, but yeah, something, something. It was like, and, and, and at that, all my sisters and my brothers that were there were, were, were sobbing and crying and screaming. But prior to that, they were all holding it together. But I'd processed it. I'd kind of started dealing with it on a daily basis, knowing and expecting 
uh, and they were like, why do you feel, why do you feel? But I, I, I dealt with it in my way. So when they were all like in a ball of tears and I, I was there to stand up and go, look, I'm looking out for these now. You know, I'm going to speak to these now. How are you feeling? Not about me, not how I was, it wasn't about how I felt. I've lost my head, not about how I felt, it's about how's my mum? How's she feeling? How's she going to cope? What can I do for her? Look at my little brother, he used to go there. I used to go to my dad's every Friday for his fish and chips, right? And he used to go there and, and that was religiously and that's been taken away from him. How's he going to cope? How's he going to live with that? Um, I didn't think about me. It was like when I was diagnosed with cancer, the first thing I thought about was, how am I going to explain this to my mum? How's she going to... It wasn't like, oh, fuck me, me, me. You know, I'm a pure victim. Boom, I was my mum. It, it's strange how you can be selfless and, and get rid of that self-centeredness. Um, and I think that's that's a gift. It's like humility. No one can give you humility. It's got to arrive from within. It's like Oscar Wilde. That's what Oscar Wilde said he wrote about it. It's like, you know, to be humble. Oh, I'm humble, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be humble. But fuck off. It's like, it's got to come from within. Yeah. You've got to feel it. You've got to experience it. You've got to, you know, I like what Big John said last night about all these millionaires. He said, I'm not interested. You know, in the elite and all that kind of, that class act, first class, second class, this is where you're going. Um, we're, all, uh, this, these are, we're real people. I'm not going to stand on people to get to another place, James. I'm not going to put you down just for a pound note. I'm fucking that ass. I'm, I, 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 if, 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 if someone can send me a message and go, do you know what? I love what you said. I'm going to change my life. I'm looking at a new direction. I'll ring people. I've had messages, right? James English podcast on emails from from guys and kid and Blackpool sent me a message. This is fucking years ago that we've done this. I just watched that James English podcast. I can identify a lot with it, right, Bill? I'm struggling. Um, I said, look, send me your number, and I rang him. And he's like, fucking hell, you rang me? Well, well, why wouldn't I, mate? Who am I? It's not as if people must think that you're you're in, you're in the house and, and you're dead busy. Sometimes I'm just. <laughs> There's fucking nothing going on. I'll, yeah. I'll ring you. I'm not that important. And I'll ring and I said, Look, if there's anything I can do, I will. And I've spoke to someone and said, Look, can you reach out to kids in Blackpool? Because that's where he is. And I don't know anyone here, but I know people up there. Yeah, that's rewarding, that, yeah. James. That's what Come it's on. about. It is. I try and reply to all messages, but the messages are going through the roof now. I'll send a voice note, I'll do the same phone number. Drop the message just to the this is why these podcasts are so special because anybody that's listening, maybe for the first time, like you aren't alone. Yeah. No matter what you're battling, no matter if you're what you're doing, whether you're overeating, undereating, not training hard or no visualization ah, in an abusive yeah. relationship, you're battling with addiction, mental health, you ain't alone. Everybody's on their own journey, their own battlefield, their own fucking they're in the trenches, we're all in them together. Yeah. Like we all breathe the same air. We're all fucking on the same land, like we're just divided so much and we're so confused and that's okay, but just sit down. If you're battling just now, just take a step back, sit down and look at the bigger picture. Things will be okay if you believe yeah. it. Don't. I know people say that it's okay not to be okay, of course, but it's not okay to live there. You don't need to live in that fucking 
the, with those demons, those pain, reach out for help. Phone a professional, like phone the NHS, like there's so many good people, phone that friend, drop that message and say, look, you're struggling. People are all over it just now on social media. If you actually just put a line out yeah. Twitter and say, look, I'm struggling today. Is there any help? I guarantee you have hundreds of messages with people from support, with support there for is, you. Mate. And I think we've got like luxury problems at the best of times, you know, like, yeah. Mike, like you said, like f- food, that's a big one for me, you know what I mean? A train, like an Avenger, I love going to the gym, I've done it for years, but I'm getting a little bit older and the sugar sticks to my eyes a bit more, you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm on these intermittent fasting diets and I've lost a stone and this, and sometimes I'll look at myself like, oh, you fucking fat bastard, this is what goes through my head, you know, you need to breathe in, you're like, get me on the good side, you know what I mean? My head looks like a fucking medicine ball, like, yeah. I'm just focusing <laughs> on everything, I've right? been the same, but I've been <laughs> folding my arms, and you fold your arms, you can hold in your tits and you can see the biceps, well, I was doing it last night with Big John Fury, but, when you got- I, I always do that, and everyone, yeah. Well, you're also when you got that box. I don't know why, why. do we do that? Fucking stupid fist. I know I'll do that all the yeah. time. But if I don't, if that's what my hands in my pocket. I just feel yeah. like I'm fucking on holiday with a pair of socks yeah. or flip flops. But um, yeah, you know we have we have we've got luxury problems. The, the biggest, you know, uh, problem I've got today, and, and most people have is food, right? You put down a fucking this and you pick up that, um, you know. But yeah, I'm loving. I'm 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 loving. Life and it's you know I'm getting old now. I like I'm not ready. I'm not out there looking for fucking straighteners like some of these on the podcast that you see. You know, like meeting them in the streets and having fucking someone stop it. No, I'm not. It's um, it's just, it's drama. But we are we're a fucking nation of like fucking drama queens, aren't we? Yeah, you know. And but that's what the sale is. Crime is. and drama. Like, I pick, choose true crime as well because people are interested in the story, but I don't glorify anyone, Bill. Mm. It's just an interesting story. We always touch on the victims. There's always people who still suffer from it, but it's just a platform for people to talk. No yeah. bullshit, no drama. Don't get involved. Like, people watching, just follow the people who are putting what they say into action. This is important. Not just screaming and shouting. Just follow the leaders, follow the people. Yeah, but you, you've got to, you know, sometimes you've got to be careful as well. And I've always said this because, you know, you can shout out to someone for a bit of help and, and, They'll they'll do it for a bouquet of flowers, you know. They'll do it for an agenda, <clears throat> you know. Look what I'm doing, right? Self seeking, you know. And it's um, someone always said to me, said Billy, if you're gonna do something, do it and don't tell no one about it, right? But we're fucking, you know, we we, we like to blow our own trumpet sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's it, constantly. It's it's it is. Look what I've done, and um, I've learned over the years not to do that. I start to cringe when I, I tell people what I've done. Um, now I'll tell people um, what I do with my brother because I'm raising awareness around autism now my brother's got autism he's 43 and he doesn't look it he's innocent he's he's just the most he's got the best smile right on the planet and I'll give him that right but I am an handsome bastard and <laughs> he said that to me last night and he said oh I said what would I look like lads I'm an handsome fella and he went yeah you wish you look like you love crime but you know what I mean <laughs> And that's the banter we can have. His vocabulary, if you see him, James, and I think I'm sure you'll have a few times, his vocab is quite uh, limited, right? It's like, how are you? Shh, I'm good. So that's it. You're trying, like, I'm trying, I'm, what I'm trying to do is trying to allow him to expand on that. You know, you feel fantastic, you feel amazing, you feel sad, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, but he's he's he's, a, he's the bearer of bad news. You'll always sit there and go, guess who's dead? <laughs> yeah. I go, fucking hell, lad, throw a phone book at me, will you? Because that's all you come out with. I think he's dead. This, so he, he, he's just like, it's just, I don't know, he's, he's just fucking great. You know, I love him and 
and I, and I do job and I don't say it, I don't say it a lot, mate, but yeah, I do I care for you, yeah. And he doesn't even watch these, so he won't even hear this. But what about the big C when you got stage three bow? Yeah, as you can see there, right? Um, it was not Hodgkin's lymphoma stage three. I was going out on a date with this girl. I can't even remember who she was now. It was just I was in that way, like I was in a relationship breakup, and I've met this other girl, and I'm trying to trying to play the field a little bit. And I had this lump, so it was vanity really that. Made me go to the year uh, the doctors because I thought fucking hell, there's a lump here. Because it come out of nowhere, and I was looking in the mirror shaving. It's a fucking massive. They thought it was a blood clot, and he said it'll work its way out within three months. I said okay, yeah. When I'll feel a bit of relief here. Then I booked a flight to Thailand to be on the film set of a prayer before dawn because they were filming in 2016. Got to Manchester Airport, pay for everything, little bags and everything with this long thing, and you know it'll work its way out. It's a blood clot. Gets to the airport, they said you can't go in. Thailand won't accept you. What do you fucking mean? He says you never um, have you ever been in trouble there? I went no. Straight away lied. You know what I mean? I went saying no. He said have you ever had an overstay? I said well yeah. About how long? It's about five years. Like over there, he says, "Look, you can't go in. You won't tell us why, but you can't go in." So it was a bit despondent, and I went back home. But when I got home, because I was planning to go there for three months, I had a twelve-week plan in Thailand. Um, goes home, there's a letter off the NHS. We need to speak to you immediately. Get yourself down to Broad Green Hospital. I went down there. They wanted to take a biopsy. They took a biopsy. A week later, he said, "Come back." I sat there. The doctor, the oncologist at the time, he was um, he was dealing with it, wasn't available. And I had to go to a funeral that morning. So I'm in a suit, waiting for this oncologist, uh, his, his, his report. And uh, he actually told me over the phone because he couldn't get back. He said, you know, he's sitting down. I was like, oh, canal, oh, canal, this is serious, you know what I mean? He said, uh, it's, it's, it's cancerous, there's, there's anomalies in your, in your blood and, you know, uh, we need to get you into surgery immediately. Uh, can you come in on Wednesday? It was a Monday. I was like, fucking hell, yeah, wow. I'll tell you about this now, right? So it goes to this funeral. I'm standing and I'm morbid now. I'm sitting in my mate's funeral. John John, his dad's passed away. Um, I'm sitting next to it, this kid called Wayne. And I'm saying to Wayne, what's your I said, you know, right, dad? Like, would you come to my funeral in a mankini? You know, like trying to like, lighten things up. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because my head was like, I was guy really. I went into like, I've seen, seen coffins going past me. I'm thinking, that's going to be me. This is the, the full process I was going through. You know, I'm going to tell my mum what's going on. I fucking, I'll accept it pretty quick here, by the way. Um, I thought I did anyway. So, yeah. Where was I? Coffins. Yeah, we should, we, yeah. But I was... Accepted uh, that. I went to this, I went, I had to, look, see, because of addiction, right, I've had a lot of, like, like I was injecting a lot as I was a kid, you know what I mean? So my veins were all fucked. Now I've had to, um, I've had to have surgery, right, on my neck. And he couldn't, he couldn't find, he couldn't find a vein to uh, fucking put me to keep, put me to sleep. It was horrible, this, right? So he had to numb me, and he was leaning on my chest and cut me right open. It was the most horrifying experience you could ever have, is having surgery wide awake on your throat uh, and feeling all the yanking and pulling and gritting my teeth and there was tears in my eyes. And, and I didn't, didn't say a word. I had this nurse holding my hand for over an hour. And at the end of it, she was, oh my God, you were so brave. She said, I couldn't believe that. I was like, fucking hell, yeah. I wanted to scream, right? I was, I really wanted to scream. Um, and yeah, the, 
Because it was like it was an emergency they needed it too. And he said, we, look, if we, if we put it off, we had to do a pick line through your chest. It'll take a week. It'll take this. Can we do it? We'll numb it. See, the consequences of drug addiction kind of fucking ruined me, me a lot of things, really. And come back after the surgery, he said, look, we need to put you on chemo. Chop chemo. Right now, that was like, that was horrendous because it, it, I started to lose my hair. I went from 16 stone to 9 stone. Um, I was on medication. Now, you give me drugs, like I say, I break out in allergic reaction. I don't break out in lumps and bumps. I break out in handcuffs, pain, misery, loss, all that shit. This is what it is. That's 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 what happens. I have an allergic reaction to drugs. So they give me medication, self-medicate, take two every four hours. All right, yeah. Every, every, every four hours became every two hours. And then I'll take four and then six and then I'll take a pack of ten. This is the way I was memorizing and justifying and, and explaining it to myself and manipulating myself. And, you know, and, and I knew I was, I was on that road to, to, to fucking disaster. And then it was like, I had thousands of pounds, by the way, because they give me a payout for this film. I mean, I'll give you loads of cash here. Big bag of it, by the way. You've got cancer. You've got a fucking drug problem. Here's some money to add to that. You live on your own. Your girlfriend's left you. You know, you, you're in loads of fucking feelings, you know, when, um, that, fuck, fuck, fuck it. The fuckers came in. Every fibre in my body was screaming, go on, go and use. You're going to die anyway. So spent every penny I had. Right, James, every fucking penny. I think I bought a Rolex. Because my mate said, it, 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 they, they don't lose the money and all that. They don't lose the value. I ended up selling that in the end. Um, so yeah, I spent everything uh, on, on drugs. Lost my job. Lost my house. Lost my car. The girlfriend I was with kind of left me. Well, she can't, she fucking did. You know what I mean? She left me. <laughs> um, I'm standing, right, I'm standing on the red carpet in Cannes Film Festival, right, by the way, in a tuxedo that had been bought for me by this film company, fucking big Hugo Boss one. It was, you know, and thousands of people clapping and cheering me achievements. You know, and I was masking it with drugs. Um, I'm standing on that, that, that red carpet on a Saturday night Right in Cannes Film Festival, two and a half thousand people in the cinema. On a Monday morning, I'm trying to scrape a tenner together in the same tuxedo in a cracked den in Breck Road in Liverpool. That's how. That's that's where it took me. Team, bang from that. You know you've got the likes of fucking Clint Eastwood. He was he was doing all the shit in me. Yeah, people were like, "Wow, fucking great movie." I was like, "Fucking great movie." It's traumatic. I watched that. People say, oh, you were in prison. I wasn't. I was in fucking cans. I watched it in cans. It was it was it was there. But I was using as well and I was hiding it. Um obviously I, I thought everyone fucking didn't know. I was well, I was blaming it on the cancer as well. Um I was on the CBD oil, I started growing fucking cannabis farms in my house. This is this fucking the story. I mean on YouTube didn't sell anyone. I, went, I couldn't afford the, the CBD oil, you know, the, the proper THC stuff. So I set up cannabis farms in the house. On my own, went on YouTube, bought all the can of A and B and, and, and the, 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 the combine stuff and the tents, the gorilla tents, the lot, bam, bam, bam. Started growing this year, Alien OG, the Kush, the cheese. Um, doing it really well, fucking hell. It was a connoisseur, it was good. I mean, a really great plants going on. I ended up smoking it. Didn't make any oil. <laughs> Just tanned a lot. <laughs> Smoked about 25 uh, ounces of fucking green. Um, but yeah, and you know, at the, I've, I, you know, I ended up back in prison. You know, and that was um, 
And that's what happens when I pick up drugs. Like, if I picked up drugs today, James wouldn't have a wallet and his watch would be gone. This is this is what goes. I'd be tying you up. This is the the, the things that go through my mind. Um, I, I'm fucking terrible. You know, it, I become, I become someone else. I become a monster. There's a there's a there's a question. You know, do you ever think you were a monster? Yes, I was. I was like, I was like horrible. Um, and I don't know who that person is. I really don't, James. It's easy. It's it's it it just comes from nowhere. And you know, I'm I'm really grateful. And like someone said to me, look, Bill, I'm not the man I could be. I'm not the man I should be. I'm not the man I want to be, but I thank God I'm not the man I used to be. Now, that's what I feel. I, I'm grateful that I'm not the man I used to be um, because I wouldn't be there for my child. I wouldn't be there for me, brother. You know, I wouldn't be there. If I, if I went out again, it'd, it'd be game over. You know, I'm 48. You know, yeah. um, it's about taking responsibilities, which is a hard part because yeah. it's easy to escape. Now, if you're drinking, taking drugs, the, the the 100% fact is you are a loser yeah. you are a loser you can't handle real life you can't handle society you're hiding you're masking and it is difficult because we don't see it I took all those drugs if I spoke to you when you were yeah. clean you were telling me to stop I'd have told you to fuck off because yeah. I thought I knew everything but when you start becoming clean when you actually go to a GE meeting or an A or an NA and see that you're not alone it's so scary going through those doors and going to a meeting when I went through the first GE meeting but I was like I was thinking, look at the fucking state of all these people. Look at the state of them. I, because I was a good-looking bastard, so yeah. I always thought my looks that I didn't have addictions because I could still <laughs> wing it. Do you know what I mean? But then I used to look at them and go, look at the state of them. And then they started telling me, oh, I used to steal from your, your mum or your family or shoplifting or selling drugs to, to fix the, the addiction. You're thinking, hmm, I'm just like these people. These are my brothers and sisters. <laughs> They're just all the same. You could get away with your looks. That's um, because you had a few bears like that by ours. You know, we were, we were, we were quite, quite, quite good looking. And you think, you know what? You know, the more you know, you use and, and the lifestyle that you're living, they're going to fade, and that you're no longer going to get by on that. Yeah. So you you look at your stuff the way you're at. <laughs> you handsome bastards. Um, my mate said to me last night. He said, "Fucking hell!" He said, "Why does James look like Martin Sheen?" <laughs> <laughs> Tony Quigley, you yeah. know, how come he looks like Martin Sheen? I laughed. Uh, and yeah, I, I, it's 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 great in the comments that you see. Oh, look at his yeah. teeth, look at his hair. Yeah. Why? Who's asked? Come on. Why do white teeth get such a bad rep, though? Is your teeth not supposed to be fucking white? Like, <laughs> my teeth are natural. Like, I've got the uh, composite body. No, it's just the first are they two. Are they no, they're real. It's only the first a composite bonding. The first two, just to, to, to yeah. level it all out. But. Even if it wasn't, like, <laughs> you think, fuck me, like, people's teeth really get a bad rep. Yeah. Like, me and Dan Tow, obviously, the two teeth are fucking popping when we've done a podcast. Yeah. And it's just, like, people get so annoyed at other people, and you're thinking, what? Like, I'll still look at people and I think, fuck me, they look as if I've got a good life. Now, we part envious, yeah. envy and jealousy kicks in, you think. And then I'm thinking, stop being that old way of thinking, yeah. James, stop being a prick, just do you. People are always going to judge. I People know, are always going to make assumptions. Yeah. Everybody's got a platform where they can talk. And that's on as okay, but what kind of message are you producing? Yeah. And it's difficult. So when you started, when you beat cancer, was that when your life started to change for the better, Bill? Well, it, it, see, I, like I said, I spent everything I had. And I was I was in a young college. It was February the 8th, 2017. Right, and then... The oncologist sat there and I thought, this is it, I'm ready for my demise. I'd spent everything by this time. My car was on its way out. Uh, my house was gone. 
you know, I was scared. I'm not. I was just a shell of a man. And I was thinking, rubbing my hands, going, well, all right, Bill, you know, you're going to go. You know, you've had all the, the chemos done now. This is the answer they've got for you. You know, it's over. Um, so I just accept it. And uh, you've had a good time, you know, convincing myself. And I'm going to say, I'm glad to see you, Mr. Moore. You know, you're going to be well. You're going to be fine. You've cleared it. What? <laughs> what do you mean? You're not going to live? I thought, fucking hell, I've got all these people. You know, you're going to live? And I thought, fucking hell, I've been set now. I'm alone, loads of. But anyway, yeah, I ended up in prison, didn't I? Because he had the consequences of that. I ended up in prison. But I went to prison clean in recovery. I was five months clean by this stage. Difficult. The most um, hardest thing I've ever experienced is standing in a, in a, in a crown court in recovery. Free from addiction, expecting a prison sentence, and then getting it, and then going in to a prison, right? Thinking, fucking hell, every time I've been here, I've been under the influence, I've been a lunatic, I've been down a block, and I've been fighting as soon as I got in. I'm, I'm, I'm frightened here, right? I'm frightened because it's a different world now. It is a different world, and I've gone in, um, and I've gone in, like, thinking, I've had a bit of charge on me by this time. I was like 16 stone eight, and Thinking, oh, I don't know fucking hell, what am I gonna am I gonna cope here? You know, all all the drug induced paranoia that you're walking past and, and anyone looks at you, right? If anyone looks at me and I'm looking at them, the first thing that gets said is like, Who are you fucking looking at? So there's a reaction straight away, then then you're on the floor rolling or someone's getting cut up. So I kept looking at the fucking floor, it was hard. Um but I learned pretty quick. Um uh, you know, uh, people were okay and it was you know, I got a good job mentor and other inmates, um so any any all, all the newcomers that came into to Walton Prison in Liverpool, I'd sit there and share a little bit of my experience and tell them about the do's and the don'ts. And, and, and a few of them are you know, really grateful for that because they, they've been in touch with me since. And it was the first time that I went through the process of like going from a from a, a T-Special into um, a Cat-C and then into a Cat-C, which is Fallen Cross, where Big John was, um, and getting released from an open prison. That was and having the opportunity to sit there and write a journal about it and, and the visibility of what was going on. You know, this is like actual factual information, right? There's a few you've mentioned that uh, Miss T, this one of the screws in there, she's she's lovely, she's in the story and um she can validate everything that was in it, you know, uh, about like what I'd seen and what I witnessed and I was trying, right? I was trying to help other inmates uh, with in recovery. He was struggling because what they do in prison now is they put them on methadone, right? Now they're stuck on methadone and then they get out on methadone. They're not breaking a cycle, so they're back into the back in addiction. Now the the nice guidelines in 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 the UK say, well, we don't want to reduce them from methadone or take them off it because if they get out and then they use a, a substance and then they overdose, then we feel responsible. You know, because we're keeping away, maintaining them. No, fuck off! You're not giving someone a fighting chance. You're controlling people. You know, drugs are coming in on um, on spice and all that's coming in now, and people are using that and dying. You know, I'm humiliating themselves, shelling themselves. You know, I have fucking people trying to sell me roasties and fucking chicken wings for a fucking for a bit of dish. It's 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 that's what I'm selling your soul. You're wearing say everything. It's it's and and um, families getting in debt, suicide rates massive. People living in these glass shells. Well, glass, I mean, like, pure perspective. Rooms where you're just on under 24-hour ops, cutting themselves up, no one can smoke anymore. That's a, you know, take away yeah. people's cigarettes as well. The stress levels are high. 
there's just so I wrote a lot about it, and um, you know, I was up against brick walls. You know, I was actually uh, my my shell got raised a few times. I was um, I had the category D status taken off me while I was in a cat C prison, which means I couldn't go to the cat C because I was under a uh, uh, security had suspicion that I was uh, dealing drugs. I had nothing to do with this. They said I was taking people into a room and cultivating gang culture. Now it wasn't. It was like a it was a room full of fucking lunatics trying to get the shit together, shitting they going. Oh, fuck it out. I don't know if it is out there, you know. I can't live like that. And and I had the opportunity to to speak to people and help them out. But then fucking grasses and little fucking shitbags were throwing notes in the box saying they're cultivating gang culture. You know, so I was getting Michelle was getting searched late at night, two in the morning, bang at the door to go in. More psh, camera uh, camera there, uh, torch in your face, fucking searched, taken to another room. I was like, I'm getting stitched up. This is the first time, right, James? And I, I'll swear on my Mars life here, and I don't say this lightly, like I was doing the right thing, right? I was doing all, 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 all the things that you should be doing positive. And I was up against this whole thought, you know, you do the right thing and you can't fucking win. Yeah, but when you do the right thing right at the start, the devil always chaps the door, though, because of the misery and pain you've caused. It's just a little bit Yeah, of... so a bit of karma. Yeah. Yeah, so the, no one's going to believe you, Adi. Come on, let's have a like, you're, you're, you're a fucking former, well, you know... But yeah, so I, I managed not to react. Um, I managed not to react. I got through that sentence. I fucking hated it. Hated every day of it. You know, first it was, you know, you go in there, it's, all right, Billy. Then it becomes Uncle Bill. And then you go back in, it's Pops. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're not getting any younger. You know, for anyone who's got a, who's thinking of a career in crime, it's, it's be prepared for like yeah, a lot. A loss, you know, and a lot of isolation and mental fucking unstable yeah. well-being. What know? happened to your ear, Bill? That got bit off by some kid years ago um, over Easter eggs. In right. prison? Out of prison? No, out of prison. I was 16 years old. Um, I can't even remember what kind of Easter eggs they were. I was a kid. must have been fucking gold <laughs> Easter eggs, man. <laughs> I remember it well. And I was tripping as well on an MBS. Um I remember the kid, he was taller than me, he was the cock of the school, and I, you know, everyone was scared of him, and I fronted it, and I went, fuck that, I'm I'll have a straightener with you. And he had, me, he had me in a grip there, and I pulled away, and I come off, he ran off. I had it stitched back on, it looked like a fucking quaver, after six weeks, <laughs> it was fucked. Um, but that affected my self-esteem, if it, I felt unattractive. Like, I haven't got the best looks anyway. I've sort of matured into them as I've gone older. But uh, yeah, I was, um, I felt like, I felt so ugly around women, and, you know, it, it was it was very rare back. Just because of, you had a bit of your top of your ears off. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Well, fucking hell, I had the plaster on it for two years, hiding it. You no, know, because it was just it was. I just felt so 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 um so insecure within myself. Um, and I thought, you know, just I just did. I just it, 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 so that had had an impact on me. Then I got slashed in prison. Then I've ended up coming off a motorbike in Thailand where I've, the chassis landed on my chest, ripped my intestines wide open. I've had three surgery, surgical operations on me on my stomach whilst I was in prison. Um, I'd been stabbed by someone, someone's brother that we know. Um, I've been fucking shot at. I thought, fucking hell. You know, what else? You know, it's just, it's just, I've been battered. I mean, fucking hell, I've had my head punched in a few times. I've got scars everywhere. 
it's just like what I'm trying to say is it's not a glamorous way of living. It's not something I'd glorify. It was, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have survived all that. And, and I do wish people all the best. And I wish people had come to like common grounds and I just, I just like, just understand. Look, this is, it is what like people just wanted um kind of like, if people are looking, asking you to retweet stuff or people are saying, look, can you share that? Or I've got a platform. Just help them. If you can, you know what I mean? If you don't want to, then just don't try and embarrass them. You know, and, and, and humiliate someone because you feel like you're elevated on these on these high platforms. I, I don't I don't agree with all that stuff, you know, James. I think we should all come together and not stand on each other. Just like, okay, look, let's cross this bridge together. Now, I've always shared this. I remember a story which was quite significant in in, in my recovery. It was the early days. And it was um, it was about this addict, right? And he's walking, he's lost. He can't get up away from addiction. And he's, he's he's trapped in this hole that he can't get out of. And he's just walking around in circles, just screaming for help. And a doctor walks by, writes out a prescription, throws it down to him. You know, he's asking for help, and this is what he gets a prescription. The doctor walks off. A psychiatrist walks by, stands there, speaks to him for an hour. You know, this addict's just screaming for help, and he just gets a little chat for him. Has a little chat and then gets off. And then another addict walks by and there's this 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 guy in the hole shouting, right? And he looks down, he says, I'm gonna be down with you now. Jumps in the hole with him. He went, What the fuck have you done now? He said, We're both stuck, we're both trapped. He said, No, follow me, I know a way out. And this is what it is. It's about the predecessors, people who have been there before can show you the way out. Look, all the talk and all the fucking this, that, and you know, look, I've been there, come on. With me, I've been on that journey, and that you know, the love that we can offer people, and then um, a bit of kindness, it, it doesn't go, yeah, it, it goes a long it, way, it does well. go a long way, mate. I, and I can say to you, and I can say to you, James, I feel jealous of this, and I feel it. I do, them feelings come, I go, fucking him, who does he think he is? And I, you know, and I can't escape that, and I, and I give myself an hard time, you know, like, like me mates, Aaron, right. I wanted to do this podcast in the gym, and I feel I felt guilty about it because we couldn't do it because it was it was just the logistics were difficult, you know. And I felt fucking hell because I overthink, you know. I'm a bit of an overthinker. I think oh, he's going to think of a cunt. That's it, you know. And, and it's not. It's 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 we are, you know. There's a consequence to being clean for me, and it's it's fucking here in my mind. It's it's me yet, you know. It's it's not as a. Um, yeah. But we all think like that, but we all get sensitive as well. And that's just life. That like, because of the background we come from, a bit of abandonment issues, the yeah. battle with addictions, it must fuck with your brain. Do you know what I mean? The trauma, yeah. everything that you go through, it does affect <laughs> you. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm the same. What was the first like? What was the first experience taking smack, Bill? The first experience, it was vomiting. It was. It was vomiting, and I took it because I met this girl. I was 16 years old, 17, not even not even touching 17, and then. Um, and I remember her saying to me, you know, do you want to go with this? I wanted a spliff. I was like, I was just hanging around with anyone, you know. She went, do you want? I said, no, I want a spliff. And she went, this makes you only this. Oh, yeah, does it? You know, and, and I'm fucking thinking, but downstairs. And, and I went, I had, a, I, had a, I had a couple of lines with her. And uh, I just had this immediate, like, warm feeling. It was tingling. And, and uh, I was just vomiting. But then I went back for more, you know, um, and I got addicted pretty quick. I was yeah, so I was sixteen when I was I was using heroin. And um 
it was back then. It, it was it was everywhere, and heroin was heroin. You know, you couldn't fucking piss for a week. You know, it was not like it is today. It's just fucking. It's the, then the, this fucking German baby powder came in, then fucking manitol. You know where they they just started chopping it up, and it was um, yeah, it just started to go shit. But yeah, that yeah, was my first experience. It was it was it was it was nausea and you know. Yeah. Have you had it before? Never smacked. No. Oh, well, it's all right. You know, you want to get on it. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get a bit you'll talk, talk lose those, now. You'll lose those teeth if you do. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah no. no. It's, um, it was, um, I think it was the drug of the day. I suppose if it was today, I'd probably be on the spice. If I lived in a village, I'd probably be the village drunk. This is, it's, it's mm. a built in me, you know, to change the way. I, I, I do believe that um, I was conditioned and the contributing factors started when I was a child. You know, have you explored that? Some people have had great childhoods and fucking become magic. So oh, you, yeah, it, it, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's doesn't, not in boundaries, my friend. No, it, it's, it's got no way. It doesn't separate you. No. You know, it, I think people who, who, who are loaded and have got a few quid, you know, must have it really. I used to take loads of Charlie and I used to look at fucking smart kids and I used to think, you fucking state of that junkie. <laughs> Again, when I was going to the GE meetings, I think, look at this state. It was because I didn't want to look at myself, Bill. I didn't want to look at me as if I had all these problems. And then when you start peeling that onion back. So what was it like then? So, you know, the the, 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 the Charlie. Because mm-hmm. I know what it's like on yeah. the track, you know what I mean? Every I mean, weekend. I mean, I, I started on, on, on the... Um, on the on the charity, then it was straight to fucking crack. So yeah. yeah, but it's just a similar. I was too proud because I still all I wanted. Was to you do, unmanageable? Was you yeah, unmanageable? Addict? I wanted to make money and shag birds. Yeah. If I knew I went down the crack route or the smack route, I would that would have all disappeared. I still hung on to my looks because I was a posing bastard. Yeah. I used to wear the suits <laughs> because I could go for a sunbed and I get a great tan. Yeah, I had the yellowness, the paleness because yeah. I still had a bit of sharpness about me yeah. but the, when the Charlie comes and mate, you're talking ounces at the weekend it's not just a couple of gram here and there it's yeah. fucking it's party mode three four days but then the Valium started creeping in yeah. two Valium to get asleep and then it was five and six and then it was the joints and then it was the fucking gambling mixed in it was just a cocktail a fucking misery but I always thought I always looked down at other people yeah. because I thought you felt shit this, about yourself yeah, yeah look at the state of these cunts like, I'm, I'm still better looking than them that's what I judged my addiction on yeah. as long as I was still better looking than them as well, still as long as I look sharp but when the curtains I, are closed yeah. well it's, it's within here that is the pain and misery your ma must be proud Bill my mum is is, is, is is yeah she's proud you know I was yeah she is she's, she is and I love my mum I really really do it's um she's she's my rock she has been for years and she doesn't really know that and I don't really tell her but I remember like when I was in that cell and I was desperate and I was in it was in I was in Armley Leeds on an eight man unlock I was on a come down from a prison roof and I felt really like important because there was loads of screws opening me up and shutting the door but when that cell door got shut I'd feel really lonely and um, the kid next door to me killed himself and the kid on the, the left and the right they both trapped themselves they had this packed right that I wasn't aware of and 15 minutes before he'd asked me did he have a light I never had I did have one but I couldn't get it to him couldn't get the cleaner to him and uh, there was loads of uh, my half an hour later there was loads of loads of commotion cells always were getting opened up uh, my, my flat was opening constantly I found out these two had killed themselves the screws were being overly nice do you want my eyes bad do you want a cup of tea you're okay like fucking hell you know it was a shock and I remember like phoning me mum to give me a phone call 
And I hadn't spoken to my mum for a while, for a long time. I didn't think she cared. And it was all he had left. And, and these two big screws were standing. He marched me to the, the phone. I'm like, they're small compared to these two. Imagine, big mask on. You know, the mask, the hard case. Phone my mum. And when she answered, all right, mum, how are you? And she was like overjoyed to hear my voice. And where are you? What's going on? And I never expected that. I expected like, what the fuck did they? Yeah, don't be ringing here. Because I can, I can, I'm used to that. You know, I can, I, 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 there's a thin line between anger and vulnerability for me. I can deal with them, the anger, easy. But when she was like, she was just like, I, I, I had a different response from it. I was like, it started to come up really. I knew something was wanted to change. I knew that like this, this is the change in me because I started having these feelings a lot. Um, Tears again in my eyes, couldn't blink because if it did, they'd be coming down my face. And the thoughts I was having was these will judge me, these two fucking cunts, blah blah blah. And I couldn't say nothing. I never, I couldn't utter a sentence back to her. She just knew. Mothers do. She went, "Son, you need help." She was asked for it. Mm. That's that's all I could muster. And I put the phone down. She went. She just said, "I know you. I know you're hurting." I know she just knew. Went back, mass. It was it was the most that that was like the, the the green mile going back that cell because I couldn't because they were there. Yeah, I couldn't see. It was blurry. Um, the door shut. Boom, sobbing. I sat on that bed and and, and I thought I need to change. I need to change. And and what was going through my mind was ask for help. Ask for help. Now I'd never asked for help. Right, I was too proud. My way of asking for help was climbing on roofs, causing destruction and mayhem and, and, and fighting and all in a negative way um, so I decided to put pen to paper and write and the only person I could write to was the probation officer because I didn't know anyone else to ask they were willing to help they were, they were overly keen come up to see me we can help you get you into a rehab um, so I thank my mum for that because she started me on that journey of uh, that process of uh, healing and it took a long time but I had like uh, my, my journey hasn't been straight it's been a bit of a zigzag I've, I've relapsed. I've had to become aware. I've had to have a rigorous application to me recovery again. Um, so I've had the ups and downs. But every time it's strengthened, you know, it's, it's, it's became, I've become stronger and stronger. And as you put that down to, to me mum, saying, you know, just ask for help. And I, I believe that if you do ask for help and you're genuine, you're sincere with it, there's people, there's people out there that will support you. But there's also people who half-heartedly want you to help them, right? And won't meet you halfway. And, and the motive's different, so... Because uh, I know that, because that's me. Uh, you, you, you fucking... <laughs> honestly, and you know what? Like, I'll take advantage of anything. I'll take advantage of your good nature. I'll, I, I can turn a waterworks on like that. I'm, I'm good at it, you know. I mean, my ma used to say to me, you could blag the knickers off and on. You know, you should have been an actor, you know. And, and I used to thought, I used to think, like, oh, Mr. Ben, I could, you know, I could... I could or anything, you know, like a chameleon, I could, I could adapt to any situation. I was pretty good growing up at, um, at adapting. You know, you could put me in prison, bam, I'm adapting, bang, I'm adapting. Thailand, I'm adapting. It's hard, it's, it, it is. You know, and I'm not going to say oh, it was the hardest thing on the planet. There's sometimes, and I've written about this, there's sometimes where I've compared Thai jails and there's a lot of reflection of Thai prisons and, and English prisons. There's a lot of times when I thought, I'd rather be in a Thai jail than I would in an English prison in some experiences, you know, because at least in a Thai prison, they open you up at seven and they bang you up at seven, you're out on the compound. 
right? It's a massive compound bar. In, in in the UK, you can be banged up at fucking seven and not get out at all. Know what I mean? It's only for an hour or even not, not even an hour's exercise. You don't even get exercise now. You just get like a fucking hour's social on the, on the landing, yeah. which is a shower and a phone call. Yeah, they've got phones in the pads now. I even smuggled the phone into that prison. And most people who have phones in prisons, phone you have them for fucking different motives. I just wanted to phone my sponsor, who was like my mentor, so to speak, to guide me in my recovery. I remember sitting in a big boss chair because I didn't notice it. I've been to jail for over 10 years. More sitting in that chair, mate. I had this little fucking phone up my ass. My dad is fucking shit myself now. I'm thinking, oh, well, what have I done here? Because I'm here, I'm here and you get three months extra in the prison. I don't want any more extra. And I sat in that chair and beep. Oh, fucking jumped, jumped out like someone had bit me. And the asked he went, you're having to have you. Yeah, I, I, I went, having what? He went, sit back down in there. <laughs> I'm sitting down now. I think, please, 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 please don't go off. It never went off. Don't know why. I don't know if fucking asked for it, but it never went off the second time. And I'm in a shell. Do you right? think that was a test from them? Do you think that was a, maybe a wee test from them That's, to maybe yeah, admit it? it? It could possibly, right? But uh, what's happened? Like, I went to shell. I've, I've got this phone. I've got no charger. Also, I've got a SIM card that I had put in that morning. I didn't even know the number. Right, so the phone was dead. And then, um, <laughs> what the fucking useless this? And then this kid came... His name was Carl Crank. That was his name. This the Crank's corner in your pad. Um, and he was an electrician. <laughs> he was in for something. First time. Nice kid. Um, and he says it all up and charged the phone and everything. Got the number. Yeah, so, yeah, it does happen. Oh, it does. <laughs> going forward for the future, Bo. You've released two books. Created a film. You've got a beautiful son. Beautiful Mrs. Michelle. Yeah. Your brother's amazing, Joe. You're doing well, you're flying high, your podcast is picking up, you're doing well, you've spoke to some great people. Where do you go now, brother? Just the day time. It is, it's... Um, I always say at the end of my podcast, uh, any pearls of wisdom, because I, I'll pull f something from someone and I think um, you either get busy living or you get busy dying. You know, and that's something I'd, I'd say, you know, you, you've got one life, live it. And try and just... just I don't know, just, just, just enjoy what you've got. You know, and it, to me going forward, now I'm involved in something called Weapons Down Gloves Up with Tony Bellew, he's involved, he's on board. Um, and it's about like intervention in schools and boxing academies and helping kids who have, who are troubled. So that's just where it is going forward, trying to like help the youth in our communities be aware of knife crime, gun crime, gang culture, image orientation, grooming, county lines. It's something lived ex it's something that I, I, I know about. And if I if I can help someone so about mental health addiction, prison, fucking hell, who's the best person to ask? You know, I have been on the receiving end and, and, and I'm open to and I know you get oh these reform fucking criminals you got have on James, bloody hell mate, you know what I mean? You think they changed and you want to fucking look I have, <laughs> I have, and I've been doing it for the past, the past four years, right? So yeah, fucking saying that records off, if you want to start jumping on that bandwagon, get in the queue with your fucking comments, because it, it people do change. Of course. People do change, yeah. right? There is people out there, I do agree, you know, I'm not going to disagree that, get a platform because they can't fucking graph no more, right? 
they're on their arse and there's no, they, they, you know, and, and, and they're still, they've got no integrity and the values and the morals are all over the gaff. The compass is all ski with. Yeah, yeah, there is. Not this fucking kid. Know what I mean? Um, I'm representing Liverpool in the podcast area. I'm enjoying it. Thanks for all your support. Thanks for having me on. If you buy the book, Charles, if you don't, Charles, keep it simple. <laughs> we're promoting a bit. Where can people get this book, Bo? They can get it in Waterstones. Um, and you can also get it on Amazon. It's in audio and it's read by a great friend of mine who's an actor called Stephen Walters. He was in Brookside, 51st State. Great kid. I was glad that we had him uh, narrating the book because he's, he's a scouser. I've had the book narrated before by a kid from London with a scouser accent and it didn't manage. So yeah, it's uh, you can get it on Amazon and, and all those platforms I'm pretty sure of it it's released an hour back at the moment I think it comes out in paperback I don't know whether it's next year or, or the end of this year but yeah it's available last question brother just for anybody that's battling mental health just now what advice would you give for them pick up the phone speak to someone email someone if you can't you know you haven't got the courage to, to it's 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 important not to be on your own in this area. And do you know what? I'll I'll say this, James, because like um, I was when I was suffering and I was struggling, I'd torment people. I'd, I'd fucking phone them what they do because there was I was I had a circle of friends that passed me on to someone else because I'd been their adult. That's what happens. And the more you talk about it, the more it becomes a solution and not a problem. Because if you keep it in, you know some people are going fucking shit the sound here, Bill. Know what I mean? But the, I'm getting sick of the fuckers out of me in the end to a point where I think, fucking hell, it's not even that bad. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say, yeah, just just reach out, pick up the phone, speak to someone. The usual, you know, there's not more, I haven't got no pearls of wisdom in that area. I just know that, like, if, if I was struggling, I'd speak to someone. I was at, James, my head's kettle's here, lad. And you'll probably go, yeah, so's mine. Speak to someone else. <laughs> and I've had, like, some signs of rank someone and you haven't answered but you know what I'll do? I'll ring someone else. Because if you don't ring again, because because what we can do is you go, oh, he's not answering. He fucking knows it's me. He's not. Because that's where the mental health yeah, takes yeah, you. Yeah. He's not answering because <laughs> he knows I'm, I'm, I'm fucking hell ass. And then I start like cultivating this feeling and then believing it. And then I won't ring. Yeah, you've created something. Someone else mind. up because. I feel and then I've done it a few times and he hasn't asked that's it it's a fucking conspiracy you know <laughs> fucking the all they're all shit they're all, they're all there now yeah. no but you, it says have faith in someone that'll believe in you and, and someone will you know that's it mate I can go on forever Bo listen, thank you love you brother you're doing amazing you too, proud of you thank you keep going and look forward to seeing what you do for the future part nice three next year sad love you bro you can also watch my podcast on my YouTube channel. The link is in the bio if you'd like to subscribe. You can follow me on my social media platforms to see who my next guest is. Follow me on Facebook at James English 11, Twitter, James English 0, Instagram, James English 2. You can also download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Sports Social Podcast Network.